to read actually through uh, verse 25 this morning and kind of explain a little bit through it. Uh, we're going to look at a few points uh, as you're hopefully taking notes this morning. As I said, the, top, the, uh, the title of our message is really looking at Messiah. Because I really feel like that's what it really ties into as far as with all three of our points in this whole entire text. But we've been looking at this series talk called Grace to You, as you see on the screen this morning. And the reason is when you look at the book of Galatians, and it just talks so much about God's grace versus us trying to work and accomplish different things. The Bible says that it's because of God's grace. We also call it God's amazing grace, right? And so we understand that it's nothing that we bring to the table, but what if God has done and the things that he has brought to the table this morning. And so we, uh, all the way back from the beginning, even uh, the time with uh, uh, Abraham, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for that, that Savior to come. And it was going to be through uh, Abraham that the nations and the world would be blessed. It would be through his uh, lineage. And so as we look at this, the first thing that I want us to see this morning, because I really want to cover the first two points. Paul is really the Apostle Paul is writing this book. He's really wanting to hit home of wrapping up what he's been talking about for so long. As far as it's by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's by the grace that God has given to us. It's not by works, it's not by us getting into these, uh, at least at this point in time, just kind of recapping what we've been going over. It, it's not about these Judaizers coming in and saying, okay, it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ plus these religious acts, these religious things. Talking about the, you, now you have to be converted over basically to Judaism, that you have to begin to start following the law. And so Paul, he spent a couple chapters telling us, okay, no, you don't have to do those things, and that's not what you should do. You shouldn't add anything to um, to the gospel. The gospel stands alone. The gospel stands by itself. And so at the same time, Paul begins to just really talk about that point, and he talks about what was even the purpose for the law. And we'll hit those two points this morning as we look at this text. But the last part, the last part is going to be the, really the application uh, that we're really getting into. So I want to be able to hit all three of them this morning and get us out of here on time. All right, everybody's still with me this morning. All right, and so let's look at that real quick. I hope this all makes sense to you. But the first thing, uh, and as far as if you're taking notes this morning, is the contract. Okay, the contract. Verse 15 says, "Brethren, I speak to you in a manner of men." And so Paul's going to get really practical with them. And he says in verse 15, though it is only a man's covenant, yet, it, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. Basically, he's telling us, listen, we're going to go into man's point of view. And just as you get into a contract, whether it's to buy a home or whether it's to uh, in some kind of agreement with another person, he goes, even speaking in man's terminology, Paul says, that when you come into a contract, you come into an agreement, he goes, unless one, if you can't change, one person can't go in a different direction versus what the contract states. And that's what he's making clear to us in verse 15. Verse 16 says, now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. you got to go back all the way to the book of Genesis. And it talks about how God is, man, God was so gracious. And, and he was just so loving to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. Where he sees this man who is childless, he sees this man who is married to Sarah, he, they're in their uh, older age, and in, in a lot of ways they've already been blessed as far as material things, 
uh, but because he has people working for him, you see that. But God really just kind of taps him on the shoulder and says, Abraham, I'm going, he's refers to him as Abram, Abram at that time. Uh, even his name, when you look at the means of names, uh, and, and he's talking, his name means father of nations. Abram does. And just how shameful for him to even walk around with his name because he was childless. And then God not only later on tells him that I'm going to make you a great nation, but I'm going to make you a great nation. And he, he talks about how he's going to bless not only uh, him and his people, but the entire world. And uh, there's so much prophecy in that. And he changed his name from Abram to Abraham. And so uh, with that, he's still childless. But God gives him that promised son. Uh, God gives him Isaac. And then later on, then Isaac and Jacob. And then down the road, we also see Jesus. But going back to this, God had promised Abraham all of these many blessings. And he really uh, gets into a contract with Abraham. He gets into this agreement with Abraham. And, and when God speaks and God says something's going to happen, it will come to pass. I love if you go back to the book of Abraham, and it says that Abraham, when he did this, he entered into this contract and he swore to it uh, that he had no one else greater to swear to. He had no other witnesses to even reference back to that he just swears. He just, he just promises and he just has faith in God so much. That's why we refer to Abraham as even the, the father of faith. It's because like you and I, we can go off of other things. We can go off of not only the script, but also the word of God. We can also go, uh, uh, we can look at other people's lives and see uh, faith in the Lord God. We can also look at our experiences in our life with the Lord. Abraham, God spoke these things to him, and he had faith in God. He trusted God's word that it was going to come to pass. Even many things that he did not even see in his lifetime. It would be years later before it would actually accomplish, but he believed these things because he believed God. In verse 16, it tells us that this contract was made in the back of the, back of the book of Genesis. Continuing on in verse 16, he says, He did not say to seeds as of many, but as of one. And your seed in my Bible, in my particular version of the Bible, that word seed is capitalized there because it's referring to, and it says it here, who is Christ. Okay, and he didn't say that I would bring you uh, this uh, blessing, these promises through seeds, but through one seed, and that seed is the Messiah. That seed is Jesus. That's what the contract that that God was telling Abraham there in the book of Genesis. And he continued on in verse seventeen. It says, "And this I say that the law, which was four hundred and thirty years later, I love how Paul he gets in there. Look, I'll tell you." Paul knew the law. Okay, Paul knew the law better than we can read it today. Paul knew the law, understood the law. Paul was not only a law-abiding, uh, I don't want to say citizen, but a law-abiding Jew. He was also a Pharisee, which the Pharisees, I can't remember off the top of my head, but the Pharisees had additional laws on top of these laws, okay? The Pharisees were a strict sect of people, religious sect of people, that really so-called had their act together. And Paul, the Bible tells us, was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Like, he was a top elitist in this Pharisee group of people. And so Paul's saying, listen, uh, here's the law, and I'm telling you that the law will not save you. 
And he says, listen, it goes back even before the law. We've got to go back to the one that was even before that time. Because we're looking at the Jewish people. We're looking at God's law that he had for the Jewish people. But who really is the Jewish people? It's Abraham. And he goes back and he says, even 430 years before the law was, God's covenant, God's contract that he had with Abraham, that's what we really need to look at. He says, in, continuing on verse 17, he says, that contract cannot annul the covenant that, or the law, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. That it should make the promise of no effect. He says, listen, that law is not going to put away the promise that God had all the way there from the back to Abraham. Verse 18 says, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise. Okay? He says, if that inheritance, if that was, if that's the seed, is it the law that's the seed, or is it the promise that God had given to Abraham? Is that where the seed is? I hope that doesn't confuse you this morning, but that's just telling us here in verse 18, for if the inheritance from God is of the law, then there's no longer a promise. And basically he's telling there it goes back to the promise. But God gave it to Abraham 430 years before the law. He gave it uh, that promise to him. And so listen, we're gonna we're gonna look at these uh, first two things this morning. I really believe it's gonna give us great application later on. So don't let me lose you this morning when it talks about these things. It's all uh, there's a lot more that we could actually get into if we were in a sit-down Bible study uh, setting this morning. I think we could really look at why does this really apply to our lives, verses 15 through 18, why it's so significant, so important. I hope that in a general sense that you were able to understand that. It really basically, it really goes off of the first three chapters of what Paul is really telling these group of people that have just kind of come in and try to bring division. Uh, to what God is doing in the church. Let me back up just for a little bit and understand what is happening here. The gospel has been given not only to the Jews, as we saw in the book of Acts, and then later on in the book of Acts, you see that it was also given to the Gentiles. Not only the nation of, of Abraham's nation, Israel, but also many nations, that it was opened up into the entire world. And that through the, this Messiah, through Jesus, Salvation was given through his son Jesus Christ. And so now when Paul is ministering, the apostle Paul is a Jew, this devout Jew, understands the gospel. And God opened up his eyes on that road to Damascus and showed him the gospel and showed him himself, the Bible tells us, that now he's on this mission to bring as many people to Christ and want them to understand what it is to be free in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul now is reaching these Gentile people and they're being converted, they're being saved, they're, they're being shown the gospel that they now have a plan through the Lord Jesus Christ, through just like Abraham did, just like his descendants did, and it's through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when these groups of people come in and they're trying to mess that up and trying to trying to uh, bring their doctrine upon these new believers, Paul is really gets out of the forefront of this and he's writing this letter to them and he's saying, no, no, no. It is not a, it is it is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ only. And it's not adding anything to it or taking anything away. And so that's what we see here. That's why Paul makes such a strong 
stance on this situation. He did it so many times in the first couple chapters leading up to this, and he does it again. Now, picking up in verse 19 through 25, we see the purpose. We want to see and understand the purpose of the law. So we see the contract. We see that. We see that promise. Now we see the purpose in verse 19. It says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression. Because of transgressions, the Bible tells us that it was added to the seed, which is talking about Jesus, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now, a mediator does not mediate from one only, but the thing is, God is one. I love this. And continuing on verse 11, it says, is the, law, if, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given, which can have been given, that had been given, have given life, excuse me, truly righteousness would have been by the law. Okay, so he's telling us real clear that righteousness did not and could not come through just a law and you followed that law and there was righteousness, which is righteousness, we need to understand, is being in right standing before someone. You and I can maybe have a good fellowship with each other, be in right standing with each other, but you and I, because of our because of sin, cannot stand in right fellowship in right and righteousness between before holy God because of our sin. Nothing against him because he's perfect, he's spotless, but we are sinners. And so we cannot be in right standing with God. And if the law could have given that for us to be in right standing to God, it would. But it couldn't and it didn't. And so that's what he's telling us here uh, in, in this verse. And continuing on verse 22, it says, But the scripture has confined all under sin. Now I want to I want us to get that. It says, and I just said that just a second ago, but, but the scripture has to find all, all of us. The Bible tells us in Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all confined under this sin, the Bible tells us in verse 23. And it says that the promise of my faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Just as Abraham believed, the Bible says it was accounted to him for righteousness. Just as he trusted in God and what God was speaking from his mouth, there in the book of Genesis, God, uh, he believed unto God, and God had given him those promises, and then uh, he uh, again sees those promises come to pass later. But and it's the same thing for us that we're all under sin, but that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. For us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we also can have these promises. Verse twenty-three. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That, that uh, bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. That, that, that law was a standard that it allowed us to see, allowed the Jewish people to see that I cannot do this. I cannot accomplish this. Uh, when, when Jesus is on the earth, they even talk to him about, you know, about breaking the law. And, and Jesus tells them, listen, if, if you've broken one, you're guilty of them all. And so it wasn't just a situation of, of you being better than the other person because you're constantly a lawbreaker. And so it's telling us here in verse 
24, it says, therefore the law was our tutor. The law, the, the law was there to show us just our sin and just the, uh, you know, the, the, like I said, the law was perfect. And for, and for us to judge ourselves of the law, we're always going to fall miserably short. This is that we might be justified by faith in verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. We are no longer under the tutor, he tells us. And I love this. I kind of wrote this in my notes, and I want us to understand this. What, what was the, if, if this is the whole thing, even in the subtitle of my Bible is the purpose of the law. I, I named this part of our message, uh, this part of our sermon this morning, talking about the purpose uh, of what the law is. And I wrote this here, to understand and emphasize the existence and extent of sin. Uh, understand, you know what, if it wasn't for the law, I just really wouldn't know how, how sinful I really am. And to the extent of what this sin, my rebellion against God, what it really does. And the law is there as, like I said, as a, tool, a, a tutor, as a rule master for us to understand just the importance and just the severity of sin in, in my life and in others' lives. And so that's what he's telling us here. There was a purpose for the law. And the law was to really show us our need for a Savior. Our need for a Savior. Because you know what? I cannot follow these rules because I'm always going to fall short. I need someone to rescue me. I need someone to save me. I need someone to be able to pick me up and bring me to that righteousness of God that I cannot accomplish on my own. Even if I would have kept almost all of them, the Bible says, I would have still been guilty of them all. And Paul understood this, like I said, more than anyone because Paul not only tried to keep the law probably better than anyone else, but then he even added additional things just to keep them in guard for not breaking these laws. And so Paul said, listen, it's there to understand the severity of our sin and just the extent of it but it could never save us. It could never bring us to that place of salvation. And so let's pick up on the last thing this morning and the application. And the application of verse 26 talks about, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of I'm going to read it through, we'll come back. For as many of you as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And it says in verse 29, And if you are and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I love this. I love, I want us to be able to really tie this in this morning and see how this really does apply to our life and can apply to our life. One of the things that's always just really convicting to me is just sometimes we get a lot of, uh, I hope, uh, that when we come to church or we come to a, a church gathering and hear God's word preached, that we would not only just get biblical facts, but that we would be able to leave and be able to apply these biblical facts to our lives. And so as we read this, just these three verses, four verses, excuse me, and I talk about the application for us this morning, I hope that we would really be able to see, again, how this applies to our life. 
Because, you know, if I go uh, now and face my job and my, you know, my family, uh, just life itself, now Monday through Saturday before we join again next Sunday, you say, okay, that sounds good, I'm out on the wall, I can have a relationship with God, you know, what does that truly mean for me? And I really, like I said, I want us to apply that now uh, in, in, uh, in our lives. And look, verse 26, going back over, it says, for you are... It says, are all sons of God. He says, so if you now have a relationship with God, he said it to us earlier, it's the ones who have trusted, the ones who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you are now all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. He says, so listen, now you have entered into a relationship with the Lord. And I hope and this morning, I know we don't spend a lot of time uh, usually on Sunday mornings during our time of, uh, at the end of our, the conclusion of our service uh, of doing a, uh, a big altar call, if you would say. But I want us to really settle in this morning as we talk about that, first, that verse 26. And for you to really examine your heart and mind. What would make me a son of God, a daughter of God? What would make me be able to have a relationship with the Lord? The Bible says the only way for us to have that relationship with God is if we repent of our sins, we turn from our wicked ways, our sinful ways, that we talked about that we're all sin, that when we look to Him and we place our faith and trust in Him, not because of works, not something that I do, but it's in a place of surrender. It's really in a place of giving up on me trying to do, and now me just surrendering my life to the Lord. When we open ourselves up to that, and we open ourselves up to the Lord. That's when he moves in. That's when he works. I said this a few times. And I, I like using this statement. Is that the Lord is a perfect gentleman. I want to teach my two boys how to be a gentleman. To be able to do simple things of opening the door for, for not only people behind them. But for a lady. And, and to be able to be respectful to their sisters. To their wives. Uh, things of that nature. I want them to be respectful young men. And I want them to. Uh, to uh, be a perfect gentleman. But that perfect example of that is, I know it's not me, mom would say, it's, it's not, not a dad, but anyway, just a little bit more humor this morning, right? But uh, y'all like that, everybody. <laughs> deep breath. But uh, the Lord is a perfect gentleman, meaning that he will not force himself on any person. He will not force himself and move into someone's life and they have not accepted him. And in other words, when, the, when a person comes to that point in their life and they tried everything, and maybe that's you this morning, you tried even the religious game, you tried going down and just trying to find maybe religion or trying to find satisfaction in this area or that area, but really when you come to the end of yourself and you really just open up and say, God, I need you. God, I, I need something in my life and, and I'm just open to you and God, and you invite the Lord in. That's when he moves in is when, with that invitation in someone's life. And so, when, if I pray this morning that you, at some point in time in your life, sometimes it's over a gradual period of time where somebody sees and understands the things of the Lord, or maybe it's this time like Abraham when God just spoke to him and he just trusted God for everything that he had. But there is a point in time when each person has got to either accept them or, or not. And I pray this morning that you have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, that you can be called a son, a daughter of the Lord. Now, we understand we're all God's creation. Don't, don't get these things confused. 
But it's another thing to be called in and brought into the family of God. And I hope that you know what it is to have a personal relationship with God. And continuing on, he tells us also in verse 27, for, uh, for as many of you as were baptized in Christ, into Christ, have put on Christ. Now, Paul, he is not going to speak something on one hand and then go and kind of double talk himself on the other hand. He's not trying to substitute as these Judaizers were coming in and trying to say you have to be circumcised in order for you to be a Christian. Uh, he is not trying to tell us in verse 27 that you have to be baptized in order to be a Christian, even though I believe baptism is very important in a Christian's life. And one of the first steps, or the first step as far as one that relationship that we talked about in verse 26, once I understand what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in my life, and I accept Him, and He comes in, and He is now in my life, in verse 27, it's... He's not talking against, he's not saying that about, uh, you know, once that has happened, then I want to publicly get baptized because I want to show each and every person of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in my life, that he has cleansed me, that he has saved me, but also I mean identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord. Just as he was buried, I'm buried. Just as he uh, rose again, I rose again now in a new life because of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm identified with him. But right here, he's really speaking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's talking about when you trust the Lord Jesus Christ uh, with your life, and you open yourself up to him, and he comes in. The Bible tells us that at that point in time that you're baptized with his spirit, you're no longer just functioning in your own ability. Now the Lord Jesus Christ lives inside of you. The Bible tells us, talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, but for as many of you as were baptized in Christ, you have put on Christ. You, you are now a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been identified with him. And there's that spirit baptism that, that he's referred to here in verse 27. Verse 28 says, and, and he just makes it very clear that there's neither uh, Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul was a little bit southern. He said, y'all are in Christ Jesus. And so for us, nobody, nobody can just start anything. Just help me out a little bit. But Paul says, listen, now you, all of you, it doesn't matter your stature. It doesn't matter if, if you're a Jew, if you're a Greek. You know, before there was this place of separation, now because of the promise of Abraham that he was going to be a blessing to all the nations. Everyone that was going to bless Abraham was going to be blessed by God. The people that cursed Abraham was going to be cursed by God. God gave him all these promises. He said that the nations, the nations will be blessed because of you. And he's telling us in verse 28, it does not matter if you're a Jew, if you're a Greek. It doesn't matter if you're a slave or free because it doesn't matter if you're the freest person as far as this world looks at you, but yet you're still in bondage to the things of sin because we're all sinners, the Bible tells us. Or it doesn't matter if you're uh, enslaved, uh, whether, it's, uh, uh, whether it's behind closed doors, uh, behind bars, or, behind, or not behind bars, or behind bars. If you're, if, you, if you're locked up, let's, let's use a, a situation of someone's being locked up in prison, in actual jail, and, and that person can have a relationship with the Lord, they can just be as, just as free in jail being, uh, versus being outside of jail. 
And so it's about being having that relationship with the Lord. I hope that little illustration makes sense. I think you got where I was going. But also, male or female, it doesn't matter if you're a male, it doesn't matter if you're a female, you're not lesser being a female than you are a male. And he's telling us this. It's all about who you are now in Christ Jesus. And so he tells us here in verse 29, and he says, And if you are Christ, that Christ with a apostrophe S, that possession, if you are in the possession of Christ, you know him, he knows you, you he is your father, you are his son, you are his daughter. He says, so if you are Christ, then you are in this promise. You are of Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promise. Now, when I was studying for this this week, it was interesting to go back and look and to see. Uh, and, and I encourage you to do that if you, if you would like to go back to the book of Genesis and see all the promises that God had told Abraham. And you see also of just how God came through on each and every one of those promises. And He says for us, just as I mean, you know, for me, it's it's really God is for me. Then who can be against me? And that's what Abraham was. And Abraham was in a situation that he really didn't have anyone. He was in, he was in a foreign land. And everyone else was basically a stranger. He had left his, he had left his homeland to go to the place that God had told him to. And he was really just at the mercy of God, but he was at home. Because, because God was for him. And it didn't matter what came against him, because God was for him. And so as we look and as we live our lives, if we are in this place of of salvation in the Lord and that we are, as it says here in court and in possession or if we're Christ then we're of his possession that he won't let us down He, you know there's things that come against us, right? if we can just get real this morning there's life that comes against us and we don't have to fight that battle alone, we're, we're foolish if we were to fight that battle without letting the Lord go before us and fight those battles so for you and I, when things come against us, and they will, probably before we even leave this room, but definitely when we go out, even today, it's a nice Sunday, day is nice and cool, but I'm telling you, something's going to come against us today. If it doesn't happen today, it'll happen when you go back to work tomorrow. You'll go back to work, and you'll, you'll face life situations tomorrow, and, and real life kind of hits you in the face, and you know what? You, you, you've, got to, you've got to make a decision right then and there. Am I going to just try to accomplish these things on my own? Or am I going to seek the Lord for direction and help in my life? And if it doesn't happen Monday, guess what? The middle of the week, that Wednesday, right? Everybody needs uh, that, that, that hump day. Everybody hates that Wednesday. And it's just, you know, that middle of the week. And you start to get a little more down in the week. And uh, things are starting to add up. And uh, that pressure of life is coming against you. You don't have to face those things alone. Even when you are alone, by yourself, just you and your thoughts, you don't have to be alone. I said this a couple of weeks ago. Uh, one of the things uh, that that people tell me that, especially now that I've been working outside of the church, uh, is you know Christianity is really just a crutch. And I, my response to that was. I don't think it should be in a crutch in, in, in a situation where I'm using my Christianity as an excuse to not do something. But Christianity is in a way a crutch as far as, and, and where I have an agreement with that is, is that I need the Lord. I need the Lord in my life. Not, not as a scapegoat of like, you know what, I'm just, you know, uh, 
I'm, I'm a sinner, and I, you know, yes, I understand, and I'm not perfect, and all that stuff. No, I'm not talking about that kind of situation. I'm talking about I need the Lord in my life because I need help. I need direction. I need leadership to be the daddy that I need to be, to be the husband that I need to be, to be the pastor that I need to be, to be the friend that I need to be, to be the co-worker that I need to be. I need help and direction and leadership in every single one of those areas of the person that I am. I need help in those areas. I need help in my daily walk with the Lord, just that I would lean into Him and that He would strengthen me. I need help in all those areas. If not, I fall miserably short in all of those areas. And so it tells us here in verse, again in verse 29, it says, Then if we are Christ, then uh, it says, Then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. We have all these things that God has given Abraham and the nation of Israel now have been placed on us that we can really see God's blessings in our life. Now, Last thing, and I promise I'm done. I don't have a clock up here, so excuse me, uh, you know, for running a minute late. Can I get at least one more minute this morning? Just hand raise one minute, two minutes, three. Okay, good. All right. So we have liberty in the Lord. Paul is telling us that. We have liberty in the Lord, right? And so it's, it's not about, uh, about these religious rules, these religious regulations that he was saying that Paul was so accustomed to. He says, now you're free of the Lord. And a lot of times in church circles, we're so scared to talk about freedom and liberty because we're scared people are going to go off on the deep end. But Paul really tells us this if you want to turn over for me one page. And because really the key verse of all the Galatians is in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. He says, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And it says, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's why Paul stood so firm in saying, listen, don't get entangled in these religious things on these outward appearances. Paul says you need to understand the liberty that you now have in Christ. And there's a major difference. There's a major difference. And I believe it really boils down to inner, dis, uh, inner uh, uh, discipline that a person has to have. And the only way that I can have this inner discipline is allowing the Spirit of God to constantly work inside of me. For me to be the person that God wants me to be, not only inwardly, but outwardly. And if it's the opposite, let me tell you, it, there's just a vast difference. Yeah, that's the reason people are so always, so many times turned off by churches because there's this religious facade that just is over it, and it's from the outside trying to work in, and it doesn't work that way. And so he's making it very clear. Paul's like, we have got to be dependent upon the Lord. We have to be, we have to have this inner uh, discipline inside of us. It's only through the Spirit of God. And I want to give a, a quick comparison to this, because when a person has this inner discipline and they're allowing the Spirit of God to just be free inside of them to work from the inside out, then a person becomes a depend on God's grace. Person depends on God's grace. Not something that I can bring to the table, but just the grace that God has given me. God has already been so merciful to me that I don't have to spend eternity away from Him. I don't even have to spend on this earth away from Him because of the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only does He not, not only does He give me mercy, but then He gives me grace on top of that, blessings on top of blessings. To know that he has a, wants to have a relationship with me 
and he wants to use me and lead me and guide me in my life. So that person, that person that has this liberty in Christ now, he depends on God's grace. He's also, he yields to God's spirit. That you know what it's not about? It's not about the things that I want to do, but before I move forward, it's not about just me saying yes to something or even me saying no to something. It's me being yielded to God's spirit. God, where are you wanting me to go? God, where are you wanting, what are you wanting me to do? God, are you wanting me to say yes to this? God, are you wanting me to say no to this? Also, he lives for others. A person who is has this inner discipline and is really working from the inside out sees others not just as someone that is against them or someone that is not them, but sees them as Christ sees them. You know, I love and I really wish we could really be tuned in to God through His Spirit. And God does show us this little glimpses of this. But when people would come to, to Jesus on the earth and they would ask Him a question, or they would really try to, whether what, what even really something to really kind of trip them up as the many religious leaders did. But even a person that would ask him a question, Jesus would then ask them a question and really get down to the root of it. And so for us, whenever we are really tuned in to the things of God, and God is working in us from the inside out, and when we see people, even when they say they're having a good day, you can see it in them what, how you can really help and encourage in their lives. You live not only for yourself, but you really live it for others. And so he, another thing is also seeks to glorify God. Seeks to glorify God. When you have this inner discipline from God's Spirit, you're wanting to please the Father. You're wanting to glorify God and Him be glorified versus you being glorified. I want to talk about with the contrary, as I've kind of referred to a little bit, if you're not dependent on God's grace, guess what you're in? You're in bondage. A person who has that religious shell and pretends to have it all together, I mean, as Paul would understand that Pharisee of the Pharisees, he's in bondage because he has to live up to all these rules that he can't even live up to, and he's placing these rules on other people. He's, he's not in liberty. He's in bondage. And he says also that he's not yielded to the spirit, but yes, he, yet he's yielded to the flesh. He's wanting to do these things to make himself or herself look good. They are, they are yielded to the flesh. They're not living for others. They're living for selfish reasons. And then also it says in that comparison, just as I've written down, it's not about seeking God's glory, but seeking the praises of men. People seeing how good I am. You know, how I come across and, and just how I represent myself that people would say, man, really good job. But that's what I seek. That's what I go after. And the Bible's telling us, right here, Paul's telling us, man, you're not living in victory here. You're not living in liberty. Actually, you're so much in bondage in that situation. So my encouragement to us as we conclude and as I finish up this morning, thank you for those extra minutes this morning. But that we would live in such a way that people can see the love of God inside of us and through us because of a true, genuine relationship that we have with God. When nobody else is around and we're sitting there and are we going to take time out of our sin, out of our so-called business schedule, and are we going to spend time with the Lord? Even when no one else sees it, are we going to invest in others even when we may not get anything back in return? 
There's a lot of people today, even in church service, that will invest in other people because simply they may not say it, but they see the investment back to them. But are you going to invest in people? Are you going to do these things to other people that will never be able to repay you? And so as he's telling us all these things as we're wrapping this up, talking about going back to our title, the Messiah. It was all about the Messiah coming and the promises of the Messiah coming. And it was, and when he came, the Lord Jesus Christ, now he's wanting us to be that representation to this lost and dying world of who Jesus Christ really is. Jesus, that Messiah, was that anointed one. Jesus is the one that has the plan. It's inside of him. He is the one that has the promises. And so for us to be really found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how we can live a liberated, yet victorious Christian life. And I pray that we go through this week that this won't just be words that you heard on Sunday, but that it will be words that you can really apply this week in and through your life. I want us to be a church group of people that are growing, maturing in the Lord each and every day. Not because you go to Cross Point Community Church, not because you live in the Bible Belt or you live in Southwest Louisiana, but that you truly, genuinely just have a relationship with the Lord and you have that inner discipline in your life that people can see the relationship that you have with the Lord and that it's real, it's true, it's genuine. Let's pray this one. Lord God, we love you, we praise you. We thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are. Thank you again, Lord God, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for the promises that you made even before Jesus came on the earth to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for having a plan for us, even from the very beginning, Lord God. Thank you for, uh, as Jesus came on the earth, that you commissioned these apostles, Lord God, to get the gospel out. So that we can understand and that we can see and that the gospel can be given to us today. I pray, Lord God, we would be a people about the gospel as well. Lord God, that we would receive the Lord Jesus Christ in our life, that we would uh, begin to walk in your ways, Lord God, that we would begin to uh, have that inner discipline, discipline inside of us, Lord God, to, to trust you, to lean into you, Lord God, and to be able to walk in your way. Not in our ways, and not in a superficial way, Lord God, but in a true, genuine sense, in a Christ-like way. Again, we love you, we praise you, we just thank you so much, Lord God, for who you are and what you're doing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for uh, being attentive and listening this morning.